Welcome to the Two Touch Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Douglas, and as always, I'm joined by Tim Bones Bouts. Today, we're going through the good, the bad, and the ugly of Match Week 18. A short slate of games, mainly with teams that had a game in hand. The results definitely started to clear up some of the log jams in the table. Then, as always, we wrap up the episode with a Match Week 19 preview. What matches we're looking forward to the most and the bets we're eyeing for the weekend. This is episode 16. Let's get started. All right, Bones. It's been three days now. Being a puppy owner, how's it been going? I am exhausted. I should say both my girlfriend and I are exhausted. He wakes up anywhere between 1 and 2 a.m. and then really doesn't go back to sleep. So she and I are running on fumes. What's he do when, what's he, do when he gets up? He just kind of... He just doesn't like his crate. We're trying to uh, crate train him. Yeah. And it's, you know, I don't know why he doesn't like his own cozy box with a nice blanket and and some stuffed animals. But I then try to bring him on a lot of walks during the day. Tucker uh, him out. Yeah, because Haley's working. So today I brought him to uh, Notre Dame's home golf course and home of the 2019 Senior Men's U.S. Open, the Warren Golf Course shout out and let him run around a little bit so he's been napping for most of the day but i Uh, I imagine that's that's not gonna work in our favor tonight yeah knowing him he's gonna knowing your dog since we're really close he's probably gonna wake up right in the middle of this recording he'll be great yeah probably well since we're dealing with a live ticking time bomb we might as well uh jump into the episode and see if we get in before he wakes up yeah let's do it okay so we're gonna go ahead and kick off match week 18 recap these are the midweek features fixtures features fixtures that really just ended we uh the the arsenal match just finished moments ago so we're gonna jump into it we're gonna go back to our bread and butter we're doing the good the bad and the ugly first match we're starting with burnley versus manchester united the result of this match was a one nil united win goals from pogba it was quite the goal it was a side volley in the 71st minute assisted by marcus rashford bones I'll let you go first. What's your good? I think Pogba's volley winner would be the easy answer, but I think it kind of overshadowed. It's kind of overshadowed by two things. Mm-hmm. One, United's defense for the most part. They were still a little shaky when it came down to crunch time. Like the last three minutes of regular time, they started you know, giving up a couple of shots here and there. And it, I know it got you a little nervous. Mm-hmm. So, But overall, I thought United's defense looked the best it has in a while. And the attack's ability to get into promising positions will go into their ability to actually convert later on, but it it was good to see that their attack was actually being aggressive and moving forward. So I'm uh, going to go off a little bit here. Uh, I'll start by saying runner-ups are, are, for me, were Pogba. Obviously, he scored, but he played a deeper role and uh, actually contributed significantly when it came to playing defense, which was great. Uh, and then to your point about the defense, Bailly and even Maguire were were phenomenal in this match. But my good is actually going to go with I'm going to go with Nick Pope. Uh, so honestly, if you don't know much about him, I think English fans obviously do because he's I think their second keeper. But he's he's probably not going to pop up as like one of the top talented keepers in the world right now or anything like that. But if you boil it down to just shot stopping ability, he's one of the best out there right now at the very least, very underrated last year. I think I'm pretty sure he led the league in clean sheets while playing for Burnley. And I think he was also league leader in saves. So that tells you that it's not like he had the stout defense in front of him, protecting him to get, to get those clean sheets. It was a lot of hard work by him. And in this match, uh, I think a lot of it was attributed to Manchester United's shot selection. They did settle often for outside shots, but man, he was a he was a wall, and he was gobbling up everything. And really, the only breakthrough was Pogba's volley, which was um, well executed by Pogba. But there was a significant deflection on it. And if you look at the replay from the camera view behind Pogba, looking towards Nick Pope, 
Nick Pope was in the right position to, to make a save. Uh, if there wasn't a deflection, there's a very good chance he could have done so. And um, if, if Burnley had gone away with a point in this match, it would have been because of Nick Pope. So I thought he was phenomenal. I would generally agree with you. I think that he, you know, being on Burnley um, is underrated for his shot stopping ability because Burnley just isn't good. And they haven't been good. Right. But I think that United definitely helped him out a little bit. And that's what I'm saying. They settled for outside shots for sure. Again, I was going to get into this a little bit later in my ugly actually, but we'll I, there. okay. All right. I'll, I'll hold off. So why are you arguing against Nick Pope? I think you're just arguing I, for the sake of arguing. No, I, I'm just saying that I think United's finishing abilities helped him out a little bit and, and are boosting his stats slightly. I acknowledge that. All right, moving on. What's your bad? I'd say the refereeing and the use of VAR to alter the run of play and specifically the, the Shaw card instead of the foul and Cavani 30 seconds later. Um, at that, I mean, was a pivotal moment in the match or could have been. Uh, just for the viewer or the listeners and viewers, we're, we're looking at each other right now, deep into your eyes. The situation was Shaw goes after a loose ball, gets a tackle on a Burnley winger. The ball pops out. The Burnley winger starts rolling on the ground. Ball pops out to Bruno. Bruno makes a ridiculous cross-field pass to Cavani. It bounces in front of Ben Me. He misses, goes to Cavani, and then Robbie uh, Brady. Robbie Brady, arguably, took away a clear chance chance at goal. Yeah, Brady completely swiped out Cavani. Cavani, whether he was a clear open run on goal or not, it was like that's that might have been fifty fifty, but he just completely cleared out Cavani. And it was, uh, it could have been a red card. It was right on the edge of the box, so it wasn't going to be a penalty, but Correct. they would have been in really good position, probably um, United probably up a man. But because of VAR, they started reviewing the first part of that play where Shaw got the ball, but in his follow-through, nicked the Burnley player a little bit, maybe a little bit more than a little bit, but nicked him, ball goes out, and the whole play progresses. My thought is... Either call that foul right away, or you have to allow the that portion of the play to end. And for the new development, the the counterattack to be what you're judging. I don't think that they sh- should be allowed to go back and judge on two separate plays when a, a foul wasn't called on one, and on the other side a foul was called on the uh, and on the other side a foul was called. They should only be able to judge the last part of the call. Okay, so I had the refing as actually ugly for me because I thought it was fucking horrendous. It was so bad. And I know I'm sounding like a whiny United fan who I think people argue that we get calls all the time, but objectively this was horrible refing and the fact that you brought it up says something. It's that tackle on Shaw or by Shaw, he wins the ball first and he's sliding. So his follow through clips the Burnley player. Not even that much. So if anything, maybe it's a foul. Ref decides to review the whole fucking sequence that you just mentioned and give Luke Shaw a yellow card of all things. So what should have been a free kick for United outside the box and at the very least a yellow card for Robbie Brady, maybe a red card, turns out to be a yellow card for Luke Shaw? Like, that's fucking bullshit. And then on top of that, the refing, the second incident, is taking back... So in just before halftime... Ball was uh, the ball was getting built up for United. Deep cross into the back post. Harry Maguire's there. Harry Maguire elevates and jumps, honestly, like two feet above the Burnley defender. He's standing behind the Burnley defender, jumps above him, heads the ball in, scores a goal. There's very minimal. I mean, there's contact, right? It's a, with anything that's going up for a 50-50 ball, but there isn't any Maguire like pushing this guy down or holding him back and just over aggressive. He wins the ball fairly scores the goal ref calls it back. Like, I don't even think they reviewed it. They just called it back. Yeah. I I mean, it's a physical sport. This is almost what they're doing to the NFL. It's a physical sport and you should referee it as such. And they're making it or they're playing into the floppers of the world and just making it 
less physical. Yeah, what's weird is that the uh, to the defender's credit, he didn't really flop either. It was just it was bizarre. I didn't even it it was just such a clear goal to me that the whole sequence after that where they called it back and called it off, it like didn't register for like another three minutes to me. And then I finally was like, wait a second, where's the goal? Why like it didn't make any sense. Um, okay, so we're going out of order here. I'm gonna just say my bad quickly. And it kind of rolls into what you were saying and probably feeds into what you're going to say for ugly. Oh, actually not really, but United struggling to close out matches. I would say for probably 85% of this match, United dominated. I know it only looks like a one nil win and they scored on a crazy uh, deflected side volley, but really Maguire's goal should have counted and they had other opportunities. Like I said, Nick Pope made a a ridiculous save off of Martial, which I think you'll get to, but the last, I don't know, 15 minutes of the match, Burnley looked like they were the better team, just onslaught of shots on, on uh, attacking United, and United kind of just sat back, and they didn't need to. Uh, I, I know some teams do that. Tottenham's, that's their MO, uh, but I don't think United needs to do that. So at one point, it even required Eric Bailly to do another ridiculous sliding last-minute save. So... Uh, it, it's just United is struggling to close out matches. It, that was the bad portion for me. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's kind of what I was alluding to in my good. I, I thought their defense was strong for the majority of the match, but it, it gets dicey at the end of the match. And I, I don't know how they improve or, or correct that, but I know you sweat a little bit every match. Okay, that summarizes my bad. It was just more of United not being able to close matches. I mentioned it in previous episodes, but all right. Finally, ugly. What's your ugly? I'd say United's finishing. Uh, 13 shots, seven on net. They made it made Pope make six saves. You know, he had to work, but many of those shots on goal didn't make Pope work too much. A lot of them were right at him, other than Martial's ridiculous curler from distance that nearly got into the to the top right corner, but Cavani, Rashford, Bruno, and definitely Martial, who had two near sitters, I'd say, yep. are all guilty of wasteful being wasteful in front goal. So they need to be more clinical all around, particularly if they're going to stay top of the league, which you will go into later. Yep. Okay, moving on to the next match. We got Wolves versus Everton. Result 2-1 to Everton. There were goals by Alex Iwobi in the sixth minute. Very nice finish. A goal by Ruben, Ruben Neves in the 14th minute for Wolves to, to even it up. A nice, another nice goal, a nice little, def, um, nice little volley. And then the match winner, 77th minute for Everton, Michael Keane wins it. So for me, I'm going to start it off good. I'm going to go with Everton's adaptability. And what I mean by this is at the start of the season, you could look at Everton. They came out hot and started the season. They had such. They had a very strong starting eleven. Uh, the combination of new signings with James, Allen, uh, I think Decore was, was Decore this year. Yep. Uh, and then the 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 major step that Calvert Lewin made as far as development, and and you could argue Rich Arlison with a new role, how he kind of embraced that. So their their front eleven or their starting eleven was never a doubt quality wise, but it seemed very thin. And you kind of, I immediately, especially with the the tough schedule this year and and how everything's sort of, uh, there's a match every three three days or whatever. I, I was I I just expected them to drop off at some point because of their lack of depth. But they've had injuries and they're still squeaking out wins. And specifically this match against Wolves, Wolves are obviously not what they were last year, and them themselves are dealing with a, a lack of depth and injuries. But they're still. Um, a solid team, I would say. And Everton was without James, or sorry, they were out with, they were without Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, and Allen for this match. And they put out a weird starting 11 where they actually had James and uh, Sigurdsson starting up top, which is neither of those two natural positions. And they pulled off the win. So, you know, I thought that was super impressive. Um, Again, competition is not the greatest if wolves are healthy it's a different story but it doesn't matter it's on the road it's a big three points they keep winning so uh that was my good for for this match yeah and you know everton 
uh, going into this match, we were talking about how Everton's kind of Jekyll and Hyde. You don't necessarily know what you're going to see game in and game out. And as you said, this was a, a very strange lineup to roll out, um, particularly against a Wolves team that is super young. And because of that, it, I, I think it's just more capable of you know, just running, of rolling with the punches that, that is the injury woes that they have and you know, having relatively fresh legs. I, but I, I just still think that Everton's too much of a Jekyll and Hyde team. Um, you know, it's to, not going to be every day to in general continue to gain get these wins. Uh, I, I mean, well, let me go into my good, and then I think part of it will get a little bit more apparent. So, okay, yeah, my good was the first thirty minutes of the match. Both teams were decisive, lively, and really creative moving forward. I mean, it was it was constant high octane entertainment, um, and all in all, a pretty pretty good match. Ruben Neves looked like an absolute stud, and James had a really good match distributing, even though he was playing somewhat of a false striker. And then you had Andre Gomez coming on um, and making an immediate impact, ultimately with the the winning assist. But it, it was a very even match, to be honest. It was, you know, 53 versus 47% of possession, respectively, between Wolves and, and Everton. Um, I, I just think that Everton will, if they have to continue to line up like this, they're going to struggle because they don't, they're an older side than, you know, a Wolves. Um, they're, I feel, a little less physical and aggressive. I think this was just a well-fought match, but if they they just don't have the legs to keep on grinding matches out like this, I think okay. at some point they're going to start start tailing off. I'm confused. What's your good? I I just think the first thirty minutes of the match were, well, was were good. was was really good, and then the rest of it was booty. I mean, it the first thirty minutes was just it really action packed. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, two goals. Lots of back-to-back, back and forth. I I agree. Uh, So, I and I I don't disagree with your analysis or your whatever your analysis, your opinion on on Everton. I mean, they're they're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel right now. Um, That lineup's iffy, but I I think that's I think that just says like that's super impressive that they were able to pull off a win with with this lineup and how they set up. So, moving on, I'm I'm kind of copping out here. I wanted to list a bad, but I didn't really think there was anything too glaring as far as what's bad, in my opinion, given the situation that both teams were in with sort of how thin they are and injuries and resting players and that sort of stuff. So I actually cheated and I gave another good. The good is Ruben Neves. You just mentioned him. He he scored a, a phenomenal goal. It's sort of an uncharacteristic goal for him. He's He's a deep-lying defensive midfielder, and he can hit bangers from outside the box, but he's rarely sort of he's rarely in the mixer and having kind of one touch finishes which was this goal so that was obviously impressive he had four shots total two on target Um, as i mentioned a couple of his shots were from outside the box which are low percentage shots but they're almost they're they're threatening almost every single time so uh, he's very good at that uh, he had the most attempt, most passes attempted and completed for his team his completion percentage was 91 percent uh, tackles wise three for three and he had two interceptions so I mean I think I don't think he gets enough praise for how good he is he's probably in the top three as far as defensive midfielders in the Premier League and I don't think anyone recognizes that and he's not like he looks old when you look at him I would think yeah, that he does look old late 20s maybe 30 but I think he's only 23 years old so I mean this guy He's kind of a stud, low key. So that was my my cop out of a bad and gave a, a good instead. Bones, you got a bad? Yeah, well, I mean, also a slight cop out. I said that it was probably unlucky that Everton comes away with all three points. I thought that Wolves at least deserved the point from this. It was just a very, very good match, obviously. In most games, there needs to be a winner and loser. But in soccer, luckily, that's not the case. And mm-hmm. sometimes you can reward a very hard-fought match with a point. So mm-hmm. I, I thought that Wolves deserved a point from this. 
All right. So my ugly, uh, we've kind of alluded to it so far as uh, Wolves' lack of depth. So no Jimenez, no Traore, no Podence for this this match. Uh, they had four teenagers on the bench that have I don't think have seen any first time minutes. So that's that's the ugly for me. It's they're in a tough spot right now. Yeah, and mine is Wolverhampton's or Wolves finishing twelve shots, three on goal. Not great. Yeah. That's not that's not good. Okay, we'll move on to the next match. We got Manchester City versus Brighton. The result, one nil City goals. The guy, Phil Foden, forty fourth minute. It was a through ball from KDB, Kevin De Bruyne, and then a nice, cool, calm, collected finish for Phil Foden. I'm gonna start it off again. The good for me was really obvious. It was once again, it was Phil Foden. He obviously, as I mentioned, just scored a goal, which was actually a sneaky, pretty crafty goal. Uh, like I mentioned, it was a through ball from KDB. He got a couple steps within the box, cut it across the face, made it look like he was going to pass the ball. Basically, it was looking at a teammate, had his um, his shoulders squared towards the teammate. Everything looked like a setup to be a pass. And then he just slotted away near post. Keeper... Obviously, was reading him and expected the pass, reacted very late. It wasn't a fast shot. In fact, when I first saw it, I was like, that is the slowest goal I've seen in a while. But you, once they slowed it down, you could see what was going on. It was, it was pretty crafty. So good goal from him. But he was just involved with every attacking chance they had, really, whether it was a key pass to set up a potential assist or was a potential assist on his own. And he had a couple of good shots to go along with his goal. So... I think, uh, yeah, without a doubt, it was Phil Foden was was very good for for Manchester City. And it looks like we're in agreement here. I, I'd like to start off by saying City looked pretty deadly going forward and even decent in the back, so very similar to my praise of United. But the star of the match is Phil Foden. Um, it looks like he's settling back in, and his winner was a very good piece of skill with his off foot, may I add. And he's really composed, particularly for his age. It's rare to see that. And, you know, it's probably Mason Greenwood and Phil Foden that, that hold that, that crown for the youngsters. Mm. Gotcha. I like, I like hearing Greenwood's name, even though he hasn't been doing much this year. Okay, my bad will go against the grain a little bit, apparently. So you mentioned City's attack was good. Uh, I thought it was bad. The reason why was, and it's kind of, well, I don't know if it's ironic, but it sounds hypocritical because I just praised one of their attacking players so much. Uh, but outside of Phil Foden, there wasn't much going on. Uh, so the stats were, they had 16 shots, which is a boatload, right? Uh, six on target, which is definitely an improvement, but they rarely really challenged the keeper. There was, they got into good positions that are definitely high conversion rate positions. The XG was decent, but they would just hit it straight at the goalie. They had one shot. The one exception that I can think of is a Bernardo shot that uh, hit off the post from inside the box. That's sort of just a little bit, an inch, an inch or two to the right, that would have gone in. So that that's a little bit bad luck, but otherwise hit him right at the keeper. And it's just weird. I mean, they scored only one goal. I just don't think their attack is, is back. I think a lot of people are saying, okay, now they figured it out. They're scoring goals again. Phil Foden's in the lineup. It's getting much better, but they're still kind of struggling. And like, I I'll give them credit. The the shots on goal are up. So they're definitely getting in those positions and having good take or good opportunities, but the, the conversion, the final step is, is still not there. And you know who's very good at that is Aguero. So I still think they're yeah. missing him a lot. Yeah. And when I gave them praise, or when I gave their attack praise, it was for their ability to get forward and get a, get in those positions, get those Got opportunities. It. Got it. But my bad is City's finishing. <laughs> although that can come partly down to bad luck with particular reference to Bernardo, uh, Bernardo Silva's um, shot off the crossbar. First of all, it was a nasty nutmeg in the box uh, of his defender and then a screamer that just doinked off the crossbar. That's also kind of indicative of how Bernardo Silva's season is going. But with 65% of the possession and, as you mentioned, 16 shots, six on goal, they have to be better. 
And honestly, because of how wasteful they were, um, Brighton got into some really good positions in the second half, had some opportunities to to at least draw level. And so it, in some sense, it's unfortunate that they weren't able to get a point out of this because City's got to be better. Yep. Yeah. For, I Spot on. And for that reason, I lost the bet. Uh, the I mentioned in the last episode, I was going to take a I took draw plus 650 here. But I still like my thought process with it. I, I think that was spot on. Obviously, it's not the result I want. But my my justification was I don't think City's attack is has quite clicked yet. And I think Brighton, I was assuming that either Welbeck or Mape were going to be playing. I don't know what their story is, but even without them, Brighton had a chance to steal a point oh, yeah. a couple of times late in this match. So that was my thought process. That's why I thought plus 650 was, was pretty tasty. Uh, obviously, it didn't work out in my favor, but to the points that you just made, that's why I went with it. Okay. Uh, you know what? I'll let you go with ugly. Why, thank you, bud. Yeah. Raheem Sterling's miss PK was one of the worst misses <laughs> I've, I've seen in a long time. Yeah, that's I. That's actually what I have, too. It was just, it's too easy. <laughs> yeah, absolute field goal. Right yep. through the uprights. It was like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, it was ugly. All right, we're going to move on. Next, we got Tottenham versus Fulham. Result, one all. Goals, Harry Kane, diving header in the 25th minute. It was beautiful. Beautiful cross by Regulon to a diving Harry Kaner textbook. But then Fulham came right back. Well, not right back. It took him a little bit of time. The 74th minute, Ivan Cavallero ties it up. That's how the match ends. So, Bones, I'll let you take the first one. What's what's your good? Well, it was an entertaining match. It was, it was fairly even um, with a 52-48 split in possession. Tottenham, Fulham, respectively, and shots on goal. It was, uh, each had 15. Tottenham had six on goal. Fulham had four. But my true good is Alphonse Areola. I thought he had a great game. Um, he's definitely trying to show out for a big contract when in, in a top destination. When his loan move to Fulham is up, he goes back to PSG, and they inevitably try to sell him. So, uh, you know, hats off to him for making the best of a, of a tough situation. Got it. All right. My good, just blanket good for Fulham. So this match wasn't supposed to happen this week. They had uh, originally it was supposed to be Tottenham versus Villa. They postponed that match. Then on Monday, they tell Fulham, hey, you're going to be playing against Tottenham this week. So short notice for this squad. They come in, they get the point on the road. And what's interesting is that I didn't realize this, but they're now on a five-game unbeaten streak. The only two teams that have better streaks than them are City with eight and United with 11. So Fulham, Fulham's been grinding out some, obviously, not a lot of wins, mostly draws, but that's against some tough tough competition that uh, those one points are big-time values for a team that's currently sitting in the relegation zone. So I just thought Fulham were phenomenal. Like you, the stats you just read off, this was an even match. They they deserved a point. It wasn't some fluke. It wasn't some late goal that steals that point. It, they deserved that point. So yeah. I thought Fulham was, I would say, great. Not even good. They were great. Wow. And this is quite a turn of events from the first couple of weeks when you're like, they are the most miserable team I've seen in the Premier League. I didn't say that, but I did say they were dog shit. So Yeah, that's you know. true. And <laughs> I, I held out a little faith. I, I just And we were talking about how big the two games in hand were for Fulham. Yeah. This is yeah. obviously a fantastic result for Scott Parker on the route. Scott to, Parker. Scott Parker to avoid relegation and, well, I guess avoid the sack and relegation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's a good point. We, we basically said this is one of their game in hand. We, they had two. We said that they needed to at least get two points from both of those. Looking at Tottenham, you wouldn't think they'd be able to get a point. Got a point. That's big for Scott Parker's job security. Yeah, and the last point I'll I'll make about Fulham, and this goes to your point of, you know, they don't have a ton of wins, but one point is huge to get out of the relegation zone. They're not good enough, I don't think, to get a ton of wins. I think that they are going to get out of the relegation zone by playing big clubs, very tough, mm-hmm. and so they need 
games like this. They need to hold strong. Um, also, Ruben Loftus-Cheek almost had a pretty awesome, I guess it, it was kind of a cross between a volley and a, and a bike. Yeah, It was just wide, but you know they don't look as dog shit as you uh, had originally thought. No, they look good. Uh, objectively, I think they look they th- I think they look good. Like they're they're not just sitting back. They're not they're not pulling a big Sam where they park the bus. They're trying to win games. Yeah. Okay. What's your what's your bad? I'd say bad luck for Stone with his absolutely beautiful run that resulted in a nearly perfectly placed shot hitting the post. I mean, Ariello was so far away from being able to make a save on this. It was a slow roller, but oof. Absolutely yeah. brutal. Yeah, it almost it felt weird when you saw Son miss. He just doesn't yeah. miss. He, he I feel like if he's taking yeah. a shot, it's going to be a goal. So uh very close, obviously hit the post like you mentioned, but yeah. My bad is pretty obvious. I've said it before. Tottenham sitting back once again. They were dominant. Uh they were dominant until until Harry Kane scored. Once they scored, then it kind of started evening out and then they let Fulham get back into the match. If, if you score, uh, if you score a goal like Harry Kane did, this the beautiful cross, diving header, and every play that was leading up to that, you you're taking there, you're taking the confidence out of Fulham, and you just need to keep doing that. And they never do it; they never do that against their opponents. They're totally they have the capability to just clear out. Their, their knees are wobbling. Why don't you just swipe their legs out? Tottenham would rather just sit back and let get, uh, let teams back into the match. So it's it's awful. Like there there's no chance they win the league. I'm saying that right now, even though they're not that far off from the top, there's zero percent chance they win the league. And I think if they keep playing like this, they're at a like a very significant risk of not finishing top four, which is mind blowing. Oh because wow! We were talking about them winning the league at one point. Well, not seriously, but competing. But if they keep doing this, of course they're not going to finish top four. This is a match that they. Sh- Fulham is in the relegation zone. Tottenham was competing to win the league, you know, a month ago. They beat Tottenham beat Manchester United seven to two. Yeah, but but think about what Fulham did to to City. I mean, they have been playing good teams, very tough. I I yeah, I'm not taking anything away from Fulham, but if Tottenham's a serious title contender or a top four team, they should win this match, especially at home. Sure. Sure. I and mean, that, well, on Fulham on short notice too. They they found out the match like two days before they actually had to play it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm not I'm not saying anything against against that. I'm just saying that you know. Yep. Yep. I hear you. I hear yeah. you. I hear you. Okay, Bones. What's your ugly? I've got to go with Mourinho's substitution decisions. I mean, he has Bale, Deli Alley, and Lucas on the bench, all who can score. Obviously, obviously, kind of at at different degrees, and he goes with Carlos Vinicius and Eric Lamella to help bolster the attack. What the fuck is he doing? Well, Vinicius did score a hat trick recently in the FA Cup. What, wasn't that against Morcombe or whatever? No, no, Marine, uh, which is like basically a men's league beer league team. <laughs> oh, and th- didn't he hit the the uh, Mbappe uh, celebration on his first goal? Yeah, yeah. It's like, dude, don't celebrate against. <laughs> I, think, I think that's all. I think it's awesome. <sighs> uh, yeah, the, those are definitely questionable. I didn't actually think about that, but Lucas Moore for sure would have been a better option. I can yeah. understand not playing Deli Alley because it sounds like he's out the door. Uh, latest rumor is that he's going to get loaned out, or PSG wants him on loan this window. So, but and then. Bale, I don't know what's going on with him. I think he might. Is he? Was he on the bench? Yeah, he was on the bench. Okay, so yeah, I don't know. My ugly is Eric Dyer's acting job. So pretty early mm-hmm. in the match, he got tangled up with a player, fell down, uh, fell down outside of his touchline, so he's off the pitch, and decides to crawl, literally crawl back onto the pitch, and then start rolling around. And he knew he had to to fake it. He needed to crawl back onto the match because otherwise they would have just started with him outside of the field of play and get his medical attention there. So it would have defeated the purpose of him trying to milk something. So, yeah, it was it was pretty comical to see. Um, yeah, that's that's my ugly. Eric Dyer, you do better. Yeah, I also it's interesting him playing as a center back. Um, uh, it, in previous years, he's been more of a, a central defensive midfielder. 
I just don't think he's that great. I don't know if I'll agree with you on that, but we don't need to go down that tangent. Okay. All right. We're going to do the quick hitters real quick. Other matches that we didn't touch on. So Sheffield United, we should have, we should have brought this up, give it a little bit more spotlight, but we didn't. They got their first win of the season, a one nil win over Newcastle. I lost money on this. I bet on Newcastle. I, the bookmakers had Sheffield United as favorites. Uh, didn't think that was possible, but Apparently the bookies can predict when Newcastle's gonna get a red card and yeah. Sheffield United is gonna get a PK. So how do they do go. it? I They've got know. a hell of a crystal ball. Yeah, yeah. So big news: Sheffield United get their first win of the season. Very bad news for Newcastle. And then the other match of the week, just one more short short slate. We got Arsenal versus Crystal Palace, and honestly, this was kind of a snooze fest. Uh, I think honestly, Arsenal missed. Tierney a lot. He didn't play. They arrested him. He had some tight muscle situation. But really, Crystal Palace leaves those wide lanes open, and that's where he feasts. So they probably could have used him today. And the only other note I'd say of this was that Eze, the guy is going to be a stud. So get used to, if you're, Crystal Palace is a fun team to watch. If you're just, if you're kind of just glued to your own team, uh, watch only your team's matches. If you're ever looking for something else to, to watch to be entertained, Crystal Palace has a horrible defense, so they usually get scored on, and then they have a pretty talented attacking unit. They haven't quite gelled yet, but Eze is yeah. talented. Zaha, uh, Benteke is starting to look decent, but yeah, Eze is a young English player that is definitely fun to watch. Okay, that's going to do it for match week 18. I'm going to take a quick break to just say, hey, if you're still listening and you've liked what you've heard so far, do us a favor, give us a subscribe. If you're listening on Apple, a review and rating would be huge. And if you're on Spotify, just click the follow button. It will be very helpful. We'll appreciate it. And it will allow us to keep on doing this thing. Before we get into match week 19, we got a feel good story of the week. I'll let bones take it away from here. Cool. So a Brazilian team, named Chapaquency. It's a tough name to pronounce. I actually had to listen to a video telling me how to pronounce it in Portuguese. You may, or soccer fans may recall that in 2016, November of 2016, the plane carrying the club's players and staff, as well as journalists and and a number of other pundits, uh, crashed near near Medellin, Colombia, uh, where they were going to be playing in the Copa Sudamericana. And just to let you know, this is a Brazilian team playing in the top flight. In that crash, there was 77 people on board. 71 died. The disaster united the soccer, the, the soccer community. You know, they were trying to loan players out to Chapaquency. A lot, a lot of larger European clubs were playing charity matches to raise funds for the club. Because all in all, 19 players and 19 staff were killed. And so just three first-team players survived. They were in real dire straits. But magically, the first two years, or I guess 2017, 2018, they did not get relegated from the Brazilian top flight. They did get relegated in, in 2019. But by the grace of God, they were able to kind of reconstruct the team and are, as of yesterday, back in the top flight, which... You know, for a team that was riddled with such devastation, that's just great to see. Um, and it's great to see the soccer community to rally around around a club like that, and particularly a club with a lot of history in Brazil. So kudos to them. I hope that it's um, a, start, a start of a, another long journey in the Brazilian top flight. Yeah, it's, that's an awesome story. Okay, so we're going to jump into the table recap and then jump into what we're looking forward to in Match Week 19. Big news. This feels good to say. There's a new team at the top of the table. (laughs) After winning their game in hand, Manchester United sits alone in the first place with 36 points. It's the first time they've been at the top of the table this late in the season since 2012-2013. That was Fergie's last year, so it's been quite a while. Sitting in second place, Liverpool with 33 points, which makes this weekend's match just so, so spicy, which we'll get to. They'll play Manchester United at Anfield. 
must watch television. Sitting in third, City moved up after their win with Brighton. They're sitting on 32 points and they still have a game in hand. So oddsmakers have them at as favorites to win the league. And I think that's totally fair. So they're they're dangerous. They're gonna be they're gonna be up Liverpool and United's butt for a while. So they can uh those two teams can't slip up. I bet they're gonna be hoping for City's gonna be hoping for a draw between those two teams this weekend for sure. Fourth, Leicester with 32 points, fifth, Everton with 32 points, and sixth, Tottenham with 30 points. So there's a little bit of separation starting to go on down there. Uh, I think last week, almost every, there's just so many teams sitting at 29, 28 points. So there's a little bit of separation starting to happen, but still a bit of a log jam. Moving to the bottom of the table, 20th, big news. Sheffield, as we mentioned, got a win, got three points, climbs them up to five points on the season. They're still definitely going to get relegated. All right, 19th, we got West Brom with eight points. Sitting in 18th, we got Fulham. So despite the big point, they still are stuck in the 18th spot with 12 points overall. But we definitely fully expect them to get out of this relegation zone. Those, Those draws are against some really tough competition. So big, big, big value there. Okay, match week 19. Matches we're looking forward to. I think it's probably safe to say that we both have number one on our list. Liverpool versus Manchester United. I am excited for that, but I'm also excited to watch, before that, I'm excited to watch Chelsea Fulham for all the reasons that we said today about Fulham. Ah, okay. I'm going to tell you something about this Liverpool-United match. This is strictly going into fan zone here. Trying, I'm not going to be objective at all my biases are kicking in, but almost every single match United's played this year, I've had very low confidence going into it. I'm scarred by the Tottenham result at the start of the season. So every match has made me nervous despite us being first in the league right now. I have an insane amount of confidence for for this match. I don't know if that's a good thing. No, it's not. It's probably not, but hear me out. So Liverpool has this crazy record at Anfield, blah, 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 all this stuff. Klopp, I I will not argue is one of, if not the best manager in the world right now. Uh, what he's done at that club is phenomenal. But and, and and United hasn't even looked that great recently, which you know you can probably argue that this whole season they haven't looked amazing. But whatever. The thing is, I haven't seen Klopp do a good job of adapting uh, yeah. week to week, and so in my head, I'm thinking they love to play this aggressive high line. And if you have Van Dyke, and I don't think it matters who you partner him with, but if you partner Gomez with him, it's phenomenal. It works. They're just athletic. Van Dyke's just an athletic freak that he can just, they can be super aggressive and they're still going to be safe. They don't have that right now. And they keep playing this aggressive high line. And I think if you're playing this aggressive high line with Rashford, and I'd be a little bit more confident if Martial was in form and he's not, but those two can smoke a high line and yeah. I I just have a lot of I think I feel pretty good about United stealing three points here I, I don't know what to tell you I'm, I'm I know that's crazy because if you look at the odds uh <laughs> it's pretty pretty much in heavily in Liverpool's favored but uh and the only thing that I, I want to add to this this has nothing to do with my confidence or what I think is going to happen in this match but there's been a lot of crying from Klopp recently about yeah, penalties about penalties that Manchester United have been given. When I say a lot of crying, there's been just one quote, but and it was way out of context talking about another match, and he just starts calling out Manchester United. And I actually sent this to you, Bones, just recently, but I want to mm-hmm. share it with the listeners. And it's that if you take away all of United's penalties this year, they would actually be in second place, only one point behind Liverpool. Now, if you took all of Liverpool's penalties away this year, they'd be even on points with West Ham sitting in 10th place. So Klopp saying that penalties are favoring United. Well, there's a fact check for you, buddy. Okay. Anything you'd like to add about Fulham and Chelsea? You squeak that in there. Um, It's not on my list, but it it definitely is an interesting match. No, I I think that um, it'll be interesting to see how Chelsea responds to kind of the mass criticism they've been taking. Obviously they got a good result in the league cup, but, you know, we all know that does that doesn't really make a difference. I I'd really like to see their true first team start gelling. 
Um, and this is the time that they need to do it. They need to start making a push to be able to compete and, and, and make up ground with the United to the world. Um, and I think Fulham is just a really fun team to watch right now. And based on them playing both City and and Tottenham really tight, I think they could do the same and, and, and just frustrate Chelsea. So as a Chelsea fan, I hope that that doesn't happen. But, it, you know, Fulham's a really, really entertaining team to watch right now. Yep. Okay, my next match on my list to watch is Leicester versus Southampton. These are kind of just the... I think these are the cream of the crop outside of the big six names that most people are familiar with. So if you have, I mean, Leicester's established themselves more in recent years. They obviously won the league uh, in 2015, but last year before lockdown, we're you know, a top three team and they're just playing good footy, but Southampton this year has shocked everyone and, and they're just as competitive. And I think this could be a really good uh, intriguing match and it has huge implications on a top four finish here so uh you know neither of these teams are favored to win the league obviously but they definitely definitely can lester more likely than southampton but don't rule them out they could finish top four and um this should be a good one yeah i I think this is definitely a it's potentially a a pivotal match for both clubs i don't know if it's going to be the most entertaining but it it certainly has yeah there's, there's a lot on the line yes i agree with that What's your, do you have another match you're looking forward to? I mean, I, I guess City Palace, just Dude, because... don't sound too excited. Yeah, you know, this is kind of a throwaway match. Um, Palace could show up, and they could be really fun to watch going going forward. And they're, as you said, their defense sucks. So City may be able to put some goals in, in the back of the net, um, or some balls in the back of the net, whichever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it could be... A high scoring match or it could be an absolute snoozer who knows yeah no i 100 percent agree with that i'm this is on my list to watch mainly because i'll be watching every city match going forward just because they are favored to to win the league so however because of my feelings of their attacking still not clicking their defense is still a beast but i don't know like i think this city in theory should safely win this match but at the same time i wouldn't be shocked if palace makes it a little scary for him yeah i mean in theory newcastle there was no circumstance in which newcastle would lose to sheffield and i might have been wrong about that so you know things happen yeah and i'll just note this it's worth sharing in case people weren't aware but the probably the other match that would have been incredibly exciting to watch this weekend would have been Aston Villa versus Everton but it's getting postponed due to COVID Aston Villa is still dealing with a massive outbreak so that match will be at a later date okay before we wrap it up for this episode we're just going to touch on some bets we like for this week I'm going to kick it off I'm going to start with Leeds versus Brighton Uh, the odds right now are plus 106 Leeds plus 270 for a draw and then for Brighton to win to be plus 245. I actually, I think this might be a Leeds dominant match here. I, I, I like the plus 106. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lock Brighton. I think Leeds actually normally struggles against the lower tier teams because uh, they kind of struggle against low blocks, but Brighton's a team that will try to come out and play you and try to get a win. And I think Leeds will run them into the ground and will get an easy win here, especially at home. So plus 106 Leeds is my lock. Well, first of all, I can't disagree with you on that. Um, I, you know, I think, not that it's a lock, but I, I think I think Fulham-Chelsea draw at plus 370 could be interesting. It could draw me out. So just for um, the listener's edification, a home win for Fulham is plus 600. I don't see that happening. A draw is plus 370, and Chelsea's favored to win minus 195. So, you know, based on how Fulham's playing right now, I could see them playing for that draw, and I could see plus 370 being a, a, a good good odd to take. Yeah, actually, I have that on my list, too. Uh, I saw a plus 320, so if I can get plus 370, then I'm 100% taking that for a draw between Fulham and Chelsea. Okay, 
So my last one is I'm going to take a little bit of a shot here too. You know, what? actually to your point, what you were just saying, would it be crazy to go Fulham win there? <laughs> would you, you, know, you say the price was plus what? Plus six what? Plus 600. Plus 600 for a Fulham win? Yeah. <sighs> kind of like it. <laughs> I, so what I, what I will personally be doing is taking the plus 370 draw Fulham Chelsea, I'm actually going to put put on another bet of Man City Crystal Palace draw at plus 750. Yes. Yes. Again, I don't think that Palace is going to win, although the odds of Palace winning are plus 1,800. Yep. Yeah. Even even that, despite those odds, and obviously they're saying it's nearly impossible that that's going to happen. I've got to agree with them. But based on you know what we were saying about City's offense still not necessarily clicking, they're being pretty wasteful in front of goal, and Palace being able to counterattack with the best of them, I don't see anything too, too wrong with the plus 750. No. It's not, I- it's not out of the... Out of the question, bet for sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm actually going to take that. I'm going to do a draw between City and Crystal Palace. All right. Anything else for you? Those are those are my three. So my lock is Leeds plus one hundred six. I'm going to take a hail mary a little bit with a. I'm, I might take Fulham plus six hundred to win. Ooh. And then yeah, I'll take the draw plus seven hundred with Crystal Palace and City. All right, that's going to do it for episode 16. If you haven't already, go and find us on Twitter at 2TouchPod. That's where you'll be able to hear about any new episodes or blogs that we publish and post. So that will be your best way of noting what's going on. For Bones, I'm Trevor. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.